to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, June 28th, with less than one week remaining before the start of the year's third major. It's time to trust what we see with our eyes happening out on court. Three weeks of grass court warm-up events now nearly in the books. We still, this week, have four tournaments on the calendar, and on today's show, of course, I want to break down all of Wednesday's action that occurred in Eastbourne, in Bad Hamburg, in Mallorca. I also, of course, want to offer what I think were the most notable results from today's Wimbledon qualifying matches. But of course, all of us are beginning to look forward towards the start of Wimbledon again, less than a week before the year's third major begins. And for what it's worth, we're previewing that tournament from every angle here at Crack Rackets over on our Great Shot podcast feed. We've already released our podcast discussing the dark horses in both the men's and women's singles draws. I was fortunate enough to be joined by my dear friends Jeff Sackman, David Gertler for those conversations. My dear friend Chris Otto going to be joining me on Thursday to break down the prospects of the Americans heading into Wimbledon. We'll have draw breakdowns, talk about the top contenders entering the events over the next couple of days as well. But if you are looking for Wimbledon preview content, this is not the feed for you. I would direct all of you head on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. Make sure you subscribe to that so you don't miss out on any of our preview content nor our GSP Ace of the Day segments where, of course, I'll be offering you picks each and every day throughout the course of Wimbledon on who I expect to move through more broadly, I suppose, previews of each day, but perhaps where you can find value in the betting odds if that's something you enjoy pursuing as a tennis fan. Again, all that content housed over on the Great Shot podcast feed here. We're focused on everything happening day in, day out in the tennis world. And by the way, we'll have daily recaps of all the action that happens at Wimbledon, regardless of the fact that I will be home in Bloomfield Hills next week, or I should say I won't be in Bloomfield Hills. Technically, I'll be in Franklin, but I will be migrating the 11-minute drive over to Bloomfield Hills every day because we're going to be live at the Cranbrook Tennis Classic, an inaugural challenger happening in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. Again, right by my hometown. I played countless tennis matches over the years. Not countless, but plenty of tennis matches on at the Cranbrook site that this event is being played. Now, they just recently renovated a beautiful multi-million dollar facility that is well worthy of professional tennis action. And so, again, our Crack Rackets team is so excited to be able to be on site, to be able to provide coverage. We'll try to speak with every player in the draw. You'll be able to find those podcasts over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed, uh, as well as see those interviews on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So, again, we're going to be rocking and rolling over the next couple of weeks. GSPs, mini breaks, hopefully crack interviews every day for you all next week. It's busy times in the tennis world, thus reflect reflecting the busyness here at Crack Rackets. And as always, we know it's our job to keep you up to date on everything that happens in the tennis world. We take that responsibility seriously. We appreciate you all trusting us with it. That's why we're ready to rock and roll throughout the course of the Uh, month of July, of course. The reason we're able to do that day in, day out here on this podcast is because of the support we get from you and because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. 
All right, let's talk Wednesday across the ATP and WTA tours. As always, going to start in Eastbourne on the women's side. You saw the entire round of 16 played out today. And, you know, why was that the case? Well, it's because they got to be done by Saturday, right? We got Wimbledon ready to get rocking and rolling oh so soon. I guess we'll go rapid fire through in terms of most to least relevant result of the day. Certainly the most relevant result was the fact that Camilla Georgie not only earned a victory to advance to the quarterfinals, it's who she beat and how she won the match. 6-3, 6-2, she knocks out on Jabir. She dominated Jabir, particularly with her returning of serve. Now, you know, Georgie was broken, th- you know, three of the five games Jabir got were breaks of serve of Camilla Georgie, and Georgie did not serve particularly well. Double-digit double faults, made less than 50% of her first serves. You know, again, two of five in saving break points. Typically, you get broken three times in a grass court match. That can be the kiss of death, but the aggression on the return of serve, the depth of every ground stroke. And we know Camilla Georgie has that back-breaking sort of power off the ground when she's focused, when she's locked in point by point. She just overwhelmed the Anjabur forehand. And again, on this surface in particular, the pace that Georgie plays with, that ball got on Jabur so quickly. It was just so difficult for Jabur to find the slices, to find the drop shots, to get into her bag of tricks short of taking the return of serve on the rise and being the aggressor there. Now, Jabur did not serve particularly well either. You look for Ons overall, she made just 39% of her first serves in this match, and that's why you're not hitting the major panic button, I suppose, given her form this uh, grass court season, given the fact her first serve numbers uh, over the course of her three matches, she made 54% of her serves against Niemeyer, 46% against Paulini in round one this week, now 39% against Georgie. Really hard to win matches, particularly on this surface, when you're not landing first serves. Now, here's the thing. Over the course of five days, fixing the serve through repetition as much as it is a confidence thing, it does feel like that is something that is very correctable for Jabir over the next few days. But look, with how explosive Georgie is, you know how dangerous she can be in any single event. And while it has not been a particularly great season for Georgie, I guess 17 and 12 overall, won the title in Marina to start the year. This is actually her just her second quarterfinal of the year here here in Eastbourne. So it's been a fine season, not particularly memorable. But you look for Georgie in her career on the grass courts, 55 and 32 overall. She's won a title on grass courts before. She has made, what's the furthest at Wimbledon? Quarterfinals back in 2018. It's not a horrible loss for Anjabur, particularly again. She did not serve well. Like, that was horrible. But it's a correctable sort of thing, you feel like, for Ans moving forward. That said, again, pace to the forehand. That seems to be the recipe players keep exploring against Jabur this season. And if I'm noticing it, imagine a lot others have, a few others have as well. So, will I have Jabur in my top five contender list entering Wimbledon? I will not. Am I writing her off entirely as on early upset alert? I guess it suppose who she sees in the draw, what the game style is. But again, credit to Georgie. She took it to Jabur, who had to keep offering up lollipop second serves, and Georgie punished her for that fact. I thought that was your most notable result of the day in Nottingham. I mean, 
it's notable that Ostapenko beat Harriet Dart 6364 in the sense that the Ostapenko train just keeps on rolling. And look, uh, you really hope she doesn't use up all the momentum, all the form. She wins last week in Birmingham. Now she's into the quarters here in Eastbourne. Can she do this for two and a half more weeks consecutively? I certainly hope so. The weapon she has on this surface, again, the pace of and the weight of her shot, good luck offering up any sort of legitimate response other than at best returning things to neutral. Dart played aggressive. She, she matched Ostapenko 85%. 85% was not enough. Ostapenko threw three and four. Again, she's a top five contender for me. Entering Wimbledon, that's why she's the second most notable result. Third most notable is the fact that all the Americans won. Goff threw one and one. Keys threw two and six. Pagula tested, but ultimately six, two, one, six, six, three. All three Americans, Keys, Goff, Pagula, will be seated come Wimbledon. I had this conversation extensively with Chris Otto. So again, I would highly recommend all of you go check out the Great Shot podcast feed tomorrow to hear this thought fully flushed out with numbers and, dare I say, more coherent arguments or more more challenged arguments by Chris and myself when we disagree. Coco Goff is 18 and 5, 18 and 6, excuse me, in her career on grass courts. You take out the three Wimbledon qualifying matches she's played. Fine. She's 15 and 6 in her career on grass courts. I continue to think she's gotten better with her first strike, her aggression, her willingness to move forward, even if David Gertler agreed on our WTA Dark Horses podcast. Goff doesn't lose to players she's not supposed to lose to this season. It's another Goff for uh, another Goff. It's another quarterfinal for Coco Goff this season. You look for her now overall on the year. Coco Goff has made a total of six quarterfinals. That's tied for third most amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour. Real freaking deal. That's Coco Goff. Such a tough out. Doesn't lose to who she's not supposed to lose. Now, again, are the signature wins? No. They're no, because if you have that elite weapon to exploit her forehand, it's still a pathway to attack. But 19 years old, she doesn't lose to who she's not supposed to lose. She got through one and one. Madison Keys, again, nothing is more dangerous than third and fourth round Madison Keys. If you're going to beat her, you got to beat her early, because once the serve starts rolling and she gets in a rhythm, she can play elite power tennis. She has a really winnable quarterfinal match as she's going to take on Petra Martic, who, by the way, gets an impressive win 6-4 uh, and wins an impressive first set, excuse me, before Beatrice Hadadmaya forced to retire 3-2 in the second. Keys plays Martic in the quarterfinals. If she wins, she'll face the winner of Pagula Goff. I'll just say it straight up. The If an American comes out of the top half of the draw in Eastbourne, that's my favorite pending looking at the draw for the American to go furthest at Wimbledon. And I think all three, Goff, Pagula, Keys, are capable of making the quarterfinals. And if things break right, the semifinals. Now, do I think any of them have a have a shot at the title? Sure. Do I consider any of them a top five contender? No. They're all, you know, Pagula, excusing the Mertens loss and the first round loss in Rome. She has two bad losses on her resume in 18 months. Goff doesn't have a bad loss this year. And you know Keys can get hot. If she wins this event or makes the final, then again, by virtue of doing that, one would could suggest she is hot. Impressive stuff from Maddie Keys, 6276. Again, all three Americans advancing. Your other results on the day. Caroline Garcia, look, if you don't have a weapon to throw her off center, she's gonna beat you. Three and four. She's through to the quarterfinals. 
How about last but certainly not least, Daria Kasakina? Kasakina, three six six three six three. She knocks out Carolina Pliskova. Look, this was a sloppy match. Truth be told, both players made a, a bunch of first serves, but it wasn't. You know, again, there were. I think Kasakina faced twelve break points a wave of unforced errors as she managed to fight off 10 of them. Meanwhile, Pliskova faced eight break points. She was broken four different times. You know, first serve, it was a solid match. Like, Kasakina's creativity, she can bring physicality to any surface. She's that sort of athlete, that sort of mover. Did I think either player displayed top five contender level of tennis, uh, top five contender at Wimbledon level of tennis today? No. Can both players... Do both players enter Wimbledon thinking they should be in the second week? I would say so. Yeah. And it's what makes, again, these quarterfinals so fascinating. Keys versus Martich. 2-1 career head-to-head Martich. Pagula Goff. 1-0 career head-to-head Pagula. They're doubles partners, obviously, as well. Plenty of love there. Ostapenko Georgie. Firepower. Variants. That one's going to be fascinating. Uh, 2-1 head-to-head Ostapenko. Kasakina Garcia, that's another interesting one. Fun contrast of styles. Garcia 2-1 in the career head-to-head right now. Ostapenko 30.5% favorite to win the event. Goff 19-4. Keys 14-4. Garcia 14%. As it's been all week, Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast has no idea who's going to win this event. And honestly, at this point, I would lean Ostapenko, but I kind of hope she loses so that she can get a few days of rest heading into Wimbledon, although I think she'll be fine because, again, her game style is just so overwhelming with the pace. I think she's. I think the grass tennis I've seen from Yelena Ostapenko, right up there with Petra Kvitova last week in Berlin. Those are the two best. I mean, no. Kvitova, I mean, Ostapenko's been more consistent. The serve has been a little bit better for Kvitova, so she gets the slight edge. But Ostapenko's grass court tennis is the second best grass court tennis I've seen thus far on the women's side. Ah, well, listen, look, we'll get back to Eastbourne and the men's side in a second. I suppose let's move over to Bad Hamburg, where, look, Iga won 3-1 and one over Jill Teichman. And you could tell from the first point, when Teichman had to execute a ridiculous little forehand half-volley scoop to win the point, that it was just going to be a tough day. For Teichman, Iga looks more and more comfortable finding her footing with every passing match on this surface. And look, Iga still hasn't won 10 matches on grass courts in her career. Fought off all five break points that she faced today. Made 75% of her first serves. Won 79% of those first serve points. Hit every spot possible in playing first strike, looked comfortable moving forward, obviously executes the tweener, which to me, like, look, people like a tweener face value. I don't disagree with that. It's entertaining enough to see. But what that tells me most is that she's comfortable enough finding her footing and backtracking to the baseline that she was comfortable going for it. And look, the footwork on, on the tweener is what makes it such a difficult shot to hit. Teichman, you know, again, it looked like any lefty playing Iga. You want to go cross-court with your forehand as a lefty. You can't do that against Iga Sviantek because her backhand down the line is as good of a backhand down the line as I have ever seen. She was just imposing her will. Somehow she managed to create time for herself at the baseline on grass courts, which, again, is something you only really see Djokovic or Prime Murray, Prime Roth, obviously, as well, doing against opponents on this surface you know, Roger and Serena, obviously, overwhelming amounts of success on grass courts. I'm not trying to write off what they did, but they don't 
create time for themselves. They just attack you. They, they just take time away. They don't create time. They take it away. I mean, Ika was excellent. That's why I've said she's a top three contender on the surface, regardless of what the track record said, because I'll take Iga Svantec, the tennis player. You can throw her on grass. You can throw her on clay. You can throw her on hard courts. You can throw her on plexiglass. You can throw her on rocks. She'll find a way to be competitive in any match that she can plays. Well, any match that she plays, regardless of who she's playing, regardless of the surface that it's on. She looked a part of top five contender, given the level she showed. Three and one over Teichman. Outside of that, again, Blinkova, five and two over Layla Fernandez. Layla's just still not quite where you would expect her to be, obviously. Again, I know she's had a ton of injuries, but everything there's just no through line, point by point, shot by shot, and what she's trying how she's trying to attack Blinkova. Now Blinkova played well, served well, good weapons on this surface accentuated, but Expected a little more from Fernandez. Was uh, It was a really fun first set. Uh, again, credit to Blinkova pulling away in the second. Sinyakova, two and four. She's ECAT with less press. Again, low line drive tennis. A little less consistent, but can, again, be a nightmare to face. She's over Rodina, two and four. And then Bronzetti, six, three in the third over Meyer Sharif. Look, Iga is a 61.3% favorite to win the event in Bad Hamburg, but it's a fun matchup. She's going to take on Blinkova. Bronzetti Gracheva's fun. Navarro Masarova is the best quarterfinal of the bunch. Sinyakova Samsonova is a lot of power, but Masarova and Navarro are two names who I think could be in the top 50 for the better part of at least the next half decade, if not more, with the weapons they possess, how smooth everything is around the court. They'll have their big breakthrough mainstream moments soon. But, yeah, again, it's going to be a very fun event. Uh, it's going to be – I don't know, very fun. It could just be an Ega coronation. But if it is an Ega coronation, that's the sort of sample size we need. And then we can trust what we're seeing with our eyes with her level across surfaces and perhaps trust putting some faith in her heading into Wimbledon from a prediction standpoint that much more. That said, that's your action right now on the women's side. Over on the men's side of things, we'll start out in Eastbourne. Mackie, you know, again, they played out the whole round of 16 because they got to get done soon. A lot of Americans in action, five. And you had an American on American crime, Mackie McDonald, six and six over Taylor Fritz. Again, I did a long Mackie segment with Chris Otto on the Great Shot podcast feed when we break down all the Americans with this win. Mackie McDonald currently sitting right now all the way up at number 61 in the live rankings through to another quarterfinal. This is a guy who's made a, a fourth round on grass courts before. Absorbs, redirects pace as well as anyone. Elite as a mover. Elite feel, so confident moving forward, beats you to the spot. He was down a break in each set. Fritz served for the first set. You know, again, Fritz had set point eight seven. What was a uh, excuse me at yeah eight seven in the second set breaker? A really fun exchange, great movement from Fritz. A point he was not capable of, even as recently as eighteen months ago. Of course, Mackie ultimately puts the point away with a high backhand volley. But look, Mackie's just got guts. He's got gumption. You know, to him, Taylor Fritz is the kid three years younger who was always chasing him and playing up in events. And Mackie would probably have to see early, you know, in rounds. And yet, you know, Mackie's not afraid of that matchup. Mackie will take your biggest shot and trust, again, his ability to absorb, redirect, will keep him in the hunt. Again, Taylor was up a break in both sets, served for the first set. 
you could tell how frustrated he was to see that result go against him. For now, Taylor to fall to, I believe, two and three overall on grass courts leading up to Wimbledon. I'm not selling my Taylor stock. He's still seventh right now amongst top 50 players in hold percentage. Was it a disappointing result? Certainly, but I, it told me more about Mackey and reaffirmed my thoughts that he can beat just about anyone on this surface on the right day. Six and six win. I'm not selling my Fritz stock. I never sold my Tommy Paul stock. He just didn't play that much during the clay court season. But again, made two quarterfinals in the fourth round of Wimbledon on grass courts last year. One and six over Sebi Baez. Now that match got more complicated than it should have. Tommy served for the match. Uh, 5-4 in the second had match points. I think five of them before we finally got the job done. But look, Baez hit some inc- – Baez – played better like sometimes bias comes up with forehands there's not much you could do again Tommy's skill set how fluid he is how comfortable he is moving forward the fact that he can move the way that he does on this surface I make the case for him in the Americans podcast so go check that out other American winner on the day JJ Wolf 6-1 over Van Asha his serve his forehand it just has a place uh for success on this surface and you know you look for JJ Wolf now by reaching the quarterfinal here in Eastbourne JJ into his third quarterfinal of the season all obviously coming at the ATP level and you know you look for JJ now in terms of ATP tour quarterfinals fourth of his career uh excuse me fifth of his career three of them this season It's a man who belongs in the top 50. And J.J. Wolf right now, 46 in the live rankings following this quarterfinal. One more win. He'll be up to 44. He has to win the title to get to a new career high ranking. But if he does win the title, he'll be all the way up to number 34 in the live rankings heading into a summer hard court summer where J.J. Wolf certainly will be best positioned for success. Other winners on the day, Sarundalo, 6-6 over Hoosler. That's a big confidence boost for Sarundalo, particularly the way in which he went about winning this match. Uh, again, the big serving lefty, Hoosler, uh, one break across the board. Sarundalo kept pace. He, he could just do more things. You know, again, he kept pace on serving. When it got to the breaker, he could just do more things uh, to hurt Hoosler than vice versa. Sarundalo, three-set win. Uh, excuse me, straight-set win. Greg Barbare, three-set win over Nicolas Yari, maybe dampening the Yari dark horse at Wimbledon. Talks. Kasmenovic straight-sets over Vukic. Emer looked, again, former junior Wimbledon finalist, another guy who can just play real tennis on this surface. He's that sort of athlete. His backhand's always well-suited to face a lefty, two and four over Liam Brody again. Emer further consolidating his spot in the top 80, heading into a hard-court summer where he will also be positioned for success. And then, again, 26-year-old Jung Ji Zhen, he just has weapons. He's got size. He can assert himself, which is what you have to do at this level. Three, six, seven, five, six, four. He knocks off reigning Eastbourne finalist Max Cressy. Obviously, tough level for, for Cressy continues, but he got to win this week. He did look better. Double faults creeped back in today. But again, if Cressy's ever going to have a big uh, slam, obviously it's got to be uh, at, it's got to be at, excuse me, um, Wimbledon. That said, your quarterfinals, Mackie versus Emer, Sarundalo versus Jung Zhizhen, Kesmenovic versus Beret, Wolf versus Paul. You know we're in on that matchup here at Crack Rackets. That's where things stand in Eastbourne. Over in Mallorca, though, and I might have buried the lead. How about our guy, Yana Kaufman? Do I have to keep 
praising him as the most underrated college te- men's college tennis player, perhaps, of the 2010s. The 31-year-old just, what a run. To come from qualifying to reach the quarterfinals in Rome back in May, obviously the first quarterfinal for him at a Masters. He has to go play Roland Garros qualifying after that, gets into the main draw as a lucky loser, wins a main draw match. You know, wins a match last week in Halle now, knocks out a top 10 player in Stefano Tsitsipas, 6-4-3-6-6-2 to reach the quarterfinals here uh, in Mallorca this week. It's just sensational. And you look for the 31-year-old now, career high number 47 in the live rankings. The size, just, he can hit every spot with the serve. Slice wide, flat tee, kick tee. Body serve, slice T on the ad, kick wide on the ad, flat wide on the ad, into your body, serves and volleys so well. Now, again, loves to hit down on that forehand, and you do feel like, again, the right sort of pace, the right sort of opponent on the right day maybe can exploit that weakness. But if Stefano Tsitsipas can't, I mean, man, it's indicative of Hanfman's confidence, his level. His backhand is just elite, straight up. It has been since he was a college freshman clinching national championships for USC. The feel, his ability to flatten it line, flatten it cross, find the short angles, play the slice. He's also an elite volleyer. It's not just his willingness to move forward. It's not just his size and length at the net. It's how he knocks off the first volley, the depth, the action on the high backhand volley in particular. Look, Peter Smith always coached him how to volley, how to play loose, play free, be aggressive. You saw that from Hanfman today. He has the physicality. He has the size. It's just all clicked for the 31-year-old this year. I mean, into the quarterfinals here in Majorca. You don't take it for granted. Yes, he's top 50 in the world, but you look for Yannick Hanfman now overall in his career. Look, he had to reach quarterfinals at the ATP level before this season, of course. But you look for him now, 12th quarterfinal coming up of his career. Very winnable match against Feliciano Lopez. First quarterfinal for him to not come on a clay court. First final uh, quarterfinal for him. Uh, excuse me, fourth quarterfinal for him at the tour level this season, which is the most he's had in a single season of any year of his career and again 31 years old hold and serve 81.4 percent of the time break and serve 24.8 he's a borderline top 25 club guy if he can get that first uh that hold percentage up and i mean he took it to stefanos today just again matched him on the plus one was the more daring player and was just was just better volleyer today and you know again didn't have the vulnerability that was that Tsitsipas backhand return with Hanfman just exploited so wisely throughout the course of the match. Look, if you're Tsitsipas one in three in your four grass court matches, you play in the warm-up for Wimbledon, that's tough. Um, I guess the the upside is you lost one of them, seven, five in the third. You lost the other one, six and five, a match where you were broken once. Today you lose six, two in the third. You're close, but it's just sloppy. And the backhand slice is going nowhere for him. The backhand return has just been a problem. And I think more than anything else, it's been the slow starts. It's, you know, again, goes down immediately a break to Yari. And, or excuse me, goes down an immediate break to Hanfman today. I think he went down an immediate break, if my memory serves me right, to Richard Gasquet as well. I think he went down an immediate break to Gregoire Bure as well in his first set, where he ultimately lost before coming back to win in three. 
can't come out of the gate slow, particularly for someone who is looking to play a lot of breakers on this surface in particular, keep pace holding serve because that backhand return just can be a little bit more difficult for him even on this in the, on this surface, excuse me, in particular. Look, I thought Hanfman played top 25 level tennis today, but I also thought Tsitsipas really did not. Like there are times when he serves so well, of course, but it just was too, it's just been so inconsistent this whole month. And that's something to correct over the next five days, as obviously he prepares for the year's third major to get underway again. Hanfman delivering your biggest result of the day. A lot of fun ones, though. Feliciano Lopez, 93rd, fourth, second, somewhere in that quarterfinal of his career and his final event, 6-3 in the third over Jordan Thompson. Just feels like every half volley that he shanks somehow trickles over the net. And so, again, it's just magic. It really is. The crowd delights in it. Really fun to watch Lopez in this final match of his career, uh, final event of his career. Rinder Kanesh, much needed uh, quarterfinal for the former AM All American. And now Rinder Kanesh back up to number 82 in the live rankings as such, which just keeps him in the ballgame for all the events he wants to play coming up on the hard courts this summer. 3 and 2 win over Lestian. And then. How about Chris Eubanks? Let's not take for granted what Chris Eubanks has done. Again, coming into this season, you look for Chris Eubanks in tour-level events. He is still 18-33 and 33 overall on the year, but coming into the year, he had reached one quarterfinal. It was back when he was still in college, 2017 Atlanta. He's reached two now this year. Obviously, the Miami one, which was the claim to fame, but now his first grass court quarterfinal comes here in Mallorca, and it comes in what is, again, mentally somewhat of a hurdle match for him, a guy who'd beaten him a bunch in challengers at the end of last year, Ben Shelton, his dear friend, of course, but this time it's Eubanks, 6-7, gets the better of Shelton. And look, throughout the course of this match, there's one break of serve. Second set, Shelton plays a really sloppy game, threw in a double fault, threw in just a sloppy first strike. But man, Chris's serve, his forehand, they're just so routine. They're so easy. You know, again, he made 72% of his first serves. He won 80% of his first serve points, saved all three break points that he faced. It was money, absolute money. And so credit to uh, Chris Eubanks, man. You make quarterfinals, that's how you sustain a top 100 ranking. Eubanks up to a new career high, number 68 as such. Now, he has a bunch of challenger points to defend coming up over the second half of the season, but he has just positioned himself so well for everything through to, again, his third career tour-level quarterfinal. And, I mean, look, right now, Chris Eubanks has the second-best odds of winning the event, according to Tennis Abstract, which is fascinating. Adrian Manorino, 29.7, Eubanks, 20.6, Rinder Kanesh, 10.6. And it's because who's in the bottom half of the draw? He's facing the lucky loser, Rinder Kanesh, who's ranked higher than right now. It's qualifier Lloyd Harris versus lucky loser, Pavel Kotov. This is a massive opportunity for Chris Eubanks to make a push towards an ATP final here this week. Top half, you know, again, Eubanks versus Rinder Kanesh, Harris versus Kautov, Hanfman versus Lopez. I think that's where things are going to end here for Lopez. Manorino versus Mute. All guys who could use an ATP title and just solidify and consolidate their spots going into the summer. Yes, obviously all of them want to earn some, not just points, but serious prize money come Wimbledon. But this is where it's really at 
And again, Hansman Lopez, Manorino, uh, you know, this week is a big opportunity for all of them. So keep your eyes on the action in Mallorca. Uh, of course, your final tour level event of the week. But before we go, just want to quickly talk through Wimbledon qualifying, what we saw on the day. It was round two action for both the men and the women. You look uh, at what we saw in terms of, you know, notable results. I'll start on the women's side of things. A couple notable ones, at least as it relates to us here at Cracked Rackets. I've been riding the Ashlyn Kruger bandwagon. Unfortunately, Ashlyn Kruger uh, knocked out by the talented young player who we saw, uh, I believe, beat Venus Williams earlier this grass court season in Neff, Neff 4-2 over Ashlyn Kruger. The other one, Brogan, 3-6 and six over NC State All-American. Diana Schneider, Hreet Minen, 4-6 and six over Robin Montgomery. Honestly, I'm just going to run you through the winners on the day. Vickmeyer, Hibino, Minen, Brogan over Schneider, Yastremska over Erica Andriva. Townsend's a winner. Storm Sanders, 6-6 six and six over Avanesian, the top seed. Waltert wins. Yuvon wins. Uh, Simonestasia, Arango, Korpat, Siegemann, Clara Tossin, Brenda Fuvertova, Sonia Kennan, Golubic, Kraus, Gadecki, Zhao over Rus, Kostik over Mandlik, Papa Mikhail over Doden, Bay, Buzes Manero, Basils Ribera, Vandewe, Yuan, C, Mira Andriva, Stefanini, uh, and Kuzmova, your winners on the women's side, on the men's side. Again, we'll just take you through the winners. Sabathfield, Machizuki, Pullmans, Ota, Watanuki, Bellucci, uh, Medvedevich, Novak over Charlie Broom. Good effort, though, to the former Dartmouth-Baylor standout. Harris, Stricker, Barrios Vera over Hijikata, 6-6. Six and six. That's a damn good win. Kukoud, Piros, Kovacevic, Brower, Vortanen, Lakali, Daniel, Gigante over Diallo. Hurts my soul, but... Trust me, Gabe Diallo still coming. Copenhans, Marazan, Mychek, Silva, Show, Elvez, Martyrer, Pui. Nice job, Luca Pui. Arnaldi, Dennis Kudla, Michael Moe, Mayat, and then Raduel about 6 2 in the third. Good effort from our guy, Joe Monday, the Tennessee All American. That's everything that happened through the second round of Qualies. What are your best round three matches? You look on the women's side. Hmm. What are my favorites? Andriva versus Korpats, Tossin versus Kuzmova, Yuan versus Fruvertova. Oh, and that's devastating. Townsend versus Kennan is your best match of qualifying, men's or women's side. Sucks that one of those players is going to have to get in as a lucky loser if they don't get into Wimbledon. On the men's side, which of these do I like most? Stricker versus Bellucci, Mychek versus Pui, Copenhans versus Daniel, Mo versus Lacoli. Kovacevic versus Kakao. Yeah, I like I like Townsend versus Kennan. That's the one match I'm clearing the schedule for, and those two are scheduled, of course, to play, let me guess, early in the morning. Kennan versus Townsend, 8 a.m. Eastern time. That one's worth watching. That one's the worth, again, making some time for because that one is certainly going to be fun. But that's everything we saw on Wednesday across the ATP and WTA tours. Of course, we will be back tomorrow to break down all of Thursday's action. And again, if you are looking for Wimbledon preview content, the Great Shot Podcast is the place for you. We'll preview the year's third Grand Slam from every possible angle. Of course, why are we able to do that? Because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has another f- 
of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out to him, a shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for my fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.